You're listening to a Sunday sermon from Seven Mile Road Church in Melrose, Massachusetts, just north of Boston. To check out more about us, go to sevenmilemelrose.com. My name is Michael. I get to work on staff here. If you were here a couple weeks ago, we were preaching in Luke. This summer, we're going to take a break, and we're going to be going through book one of the Psalms. Book one's Psalm 1 to 41, and so... But now through August, when you're here, you're going to hear preaching on one of those psalms. Today we're in Psalm 32. Do you remember the first time that everybody else had something that you wanted and that you just knew that if you had it, like everybody else, that you would be happy? Mine was a Game Boy. But it wasn't just any Game Boy. It was the Atomic Purple see-through Game Boy Color. And I got one for my birthday, and I got Zelda and Pokemon. I think it was Pokemon Yellow, because there was only three at that point. And I even got this really, really cool Star Wars pod racer game that had a rumble pack. It was sweet, and it made me happy. Until seventh grade, Michael Cochran walked into basketball gym with this white brick-looking thing called an iPod. And then I wasn't so happy anymore. Happiness is a funny thing. We can't seem to keep it. We all define it somewhat differently. Yours probably wasn't a Game Boy Color. Some of you kids in here don't even know what that is. We all aim our hearts at something different that we think once we have it, then we'll be happy. Your list of things might include things like shopping, a.k.a. retail therapy, or the newest model of a car, or I'll be happy when my kids are happy, Or if I had 10% more on my paycheck, then I'll be happy. Or if I'm the head of the department or my company, then I'll be happy. It seems, if we're honest, that there's no end to things or relationships or opportunities that we think once we have those, then we'll finally be happy. But there's something interesting, is that this psalm tells us something different. That David shows us a different path to happiness, to joy, to pleasure, to delight. So let's pray that the Spirit will give us eyes to see, and then we'll jump into Psalm 32, verse 1. Spirit, I ask that you would open our minds and our hearts to receive your word. Pray that the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, and the words of my mouth would be pleasing to you. Amen. Okay, we're going to be in Psalm 32. These are going to be up on the screen. You have your Bible. It's like a third of the way through. You have your phone. Just find Psalms. All right, a mascal of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there's no deceit. All right, so it starts with this word mascal, which means that this is a wisdom psalm. This psalm is about how we swim with the current of wisdom instead of against the current of wisdom. It's about how do we find happiness? How do we live the blessed life? So if you pick up book of the Psalms as if it's a book, and you started just reading all the way through, and then you landed at Psalm 32, you would have seen the words blessed, which is, starts verse 1 and 2. You would have seen those only in Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. This is how the book opens, and it tells us that Psalm 1, blessed is a person who meditates and lives by the word of God. And then in Psalm 2, we're told blessed is the one who 
trusts and is saved by the Lord's King, God's Son. And so the book of Psalms is designed to show us this is the way of wisdom. We trust in the Son of God to save us, God's King, while we depend on the Word of God to guide us. So already we have some application, which is we need to define happiness by what God shows us, not what our hearts tell us will make us happy or by what advertisers tell us will make us happy. Because Acts body spray will not make you happy, and it probably won't make somebody love you. And this is just a public service announcement. It's not a replacement for a shower. So this is how God defines a happy life. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. So if that's true, then there's this reality we all have to accept to find this happy life. We have to accept it about ourselves. It's that you and I are sinners. Which means refusing to believe that makes our life more difficult because we end up pursuing happiness through created things or through relationships or opportunities that we expect them to satisfy us in ways that they can't. Which we just talked about with the children. That's actually idolatry. We're trusting in something besides God to make us happy, to give us hope, to make us significant, to make us safe. And idolatry is sin, which means we are all sinners, and this psalm is giving us this first thing we need to accept about ourselves. And it's the first step towards finding the actual happy life God is telling us. He says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there's no deceit. David describes three forms of human evil here. He says transgression, which is breaking God's commands. He says sin, which is turning away from God's way so we can choose our way. And then it's iniquity, which is guilt that we accrue for breaking God's law. So the assumption here is that we all commit these evils. The only way to happiness is to have them forgiven, to have them covered over. And so to find happiness, we need to figure out how God doesn't credit to our account our guilt because of our sin. So if you ever pulled out your phone and maybe like got a notification from your cash app or Venmo that your friend sent you $40 for dinner last night, instead of requesting $40 for dinner last night, they've credited something to your account in the exact reverse way that was necessary and it's really funny, and you're going to make them text you about it just to, like, ask you to send you $40 plus $40 back. You didn't pay for dinner. Now you're getting paid for dinner. This is an incredible friendship. David's saying that there's something deeper and more amazing. Happiness is when the Lord doesn't credit our guilt from our sin against us, even though we've earned it. And what's interesting about this language, the particular way he says it, is that it points to God doing something even more astounding than just taking away our guilt. Because if you started in Genesis and read all the way through the end of the Old Testament, you would only see the Lord accounting something to someone two times. And the Old Testament is huge. You would see it here in this psalm, and then you'd see it in Genesis 15. Genesis 15, God has chosen Abraham and given him these promises. He's going to give him a seed, they're going to become a nation, he's going to be their God, they're going to be his people. And despite evidence to the contrary, Abraham actually believes the Lord. And in Genesis we're told, and the Lord counted that faith to Abraham as actual righteousness. 
So despite all the evil that we've seen that Abraham does, and he does a lot, when he trusts the Lord, God credited his faith to Abraham as full righteousness, as if he's perfectly lived his whole life blameless before God, doing all the things God commands and not doing all the things God prohibits. He gets full righteousness by faith alone. And the same reality we see in Genesis 15 is being described here. The blessed life in which God doesn't count my guilt towards me, this is the way to happiness, and this takes us straight to the heart of the gospel. It takes us straight, actually, to the book of Romans, where Paul shows us only by trusting in Jesus do we actually find and live in this happy life. This is going to be up on the screen. I'll try to walk us through it. So Paul says, for what does Scripture say? And then he quotes Genesis 15. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then here's some application. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. So when we work our jobs, we earn a pre-agreed upon wage. But when we try to live with that kind of relationship to God, like our good deeds are going to earn blessing, the only thing we earn is actually guilt, because we can't keep the law's full demands. Our ledger with God is full of guilt, not merit. Paul goes on to the good news. He says, And to the one who doesn't work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So God justifies the ungodly through the death of Jesus for sinners, which makes God both just and the justifier, Paul says, because the sins of those who trust in Jesus are put onto Jesus. Our sins are put onto Jesus, and they're paid for by his death. And we know that because the Father accepted his sacrifice and raised him from the dead. So in 1 John, we're told if we confess our sins, God is faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Paul goes on, he says, so the Genesis 15, it shows us righteousness by faith alone. And then he says, also David. David speaks of the blessing or the happiness of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And then he quotes our passage, Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Righteousness by faith is the way that God's people have always needed to relate to God. And the great news of the gospel is that if we follow Jesus by faith, our sins are forgiven and we can draw near to God without fear. And so it's the gospel then that leads us to the happiest life. And the happiest life feels like this. This is the back end of Psalm 32, too. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Happy life is where we have complete integrity. The gospel frees us to have integrity because we don't need to hide and cover our sin anymore. Jesus died for it to cover us. And so if you're taking notes, here's like a big idea. Being near to God is the happy life. Being near to God is the happy life, which means we have to let go of all the other ways that we would pursue happiness outside of being near to God. The gospel is our deepest way to happiness and joy because God himself is our deepest joy and happiness. What happens if we forget that? What happens if we choose not to believe that? If we'd rather make ourselves right with God by comparing ourselves to other people or by working extra hard or praying longer 
or recommitting to good living or doing more or acting like God doesn't exist, what happens inside of us? This is what, this is what David's talking about in verse 3 and 4. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. When we hide our sin inside, we lack integrity. We lack wholeness. Why is it we should try to live our life free from trying to deceive God? Because when we sin, we try to cover it up by not speaking about it to God and definitely not speaking about it to other people. We try to cover up our sin with silence towards God. We try to cover it up by pointing out other people's flaws, their failures, their sins. Try to cover it up by winning back other people's approval. Try to cover it up by blaming other people for the reasons why we mistreated people. Try to cover it up by our own working. Somehow, some way, we're going to cover it up. In Genesis 3, the man and the woman, they break God's one command. They live by their wisdom instead of God's word. And then what happens? What do they do? They hide from God. And then they blame each other. They make their own clothing to cover themselves. So David's stubbornness here in the psalm isn't unique to David. It's representative for all of us. We all do this by nature and by choice. We prefer to suppress the knowledge of God because our sin leaves us feeling exposed and vulnerable and guilty. We hide from God, or worse, we act like God doesn't exist. He's not going to judge us. We're like toddlers playing hide-and-seek, standing in the middle of the room and covering their face. I can't see you, so you can't see me. It's really cute, but it's not a good hide-and-seek strategy. And neither is our attempt to deal with our sin by covering it up, refusing to acknowledge it to God. God knows. And what David's telling us is we're hurting ourselves. This is actually the path to unhappiness, to misery, constantly looking for the next thing that will make us happy. And David tells us the consequences for our sin when we hide it is inner anguish. He gives us this crazy image of brittle bones, rapidly aging. So if you've ever seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, you've seen an image like this. Near the, This is like a 35-year-old movie, so this is a bit of a spoiler, but that's not on me. Near the end, the antagonist, Donovan, he, he chooses the wrong cup. It's not the Holy Grail. And he drinks from it, which causes him to rapidly age and then die before everyone's shocked eyes. He grows old. His hair grows out. His skin starts to shrink and then is eaten away. And then it's just his skeleton remains, which falls against the wall and crashes to the floor and just dust and bones. And then in the understatement of the decade, the knight looks at Indiana Jones and says, he has chosen poorly. David's telling us when we try to hide, cover, fix, atone for our sin apart from God, we feel in our inner life decaying. We have chosen poorly and we're suffering for it. We may not be speaking to God, but we know that we've done something wrong. And so there's no success in our job, no amount of shopping, no new lover or toys or long prayers or generous giving that's going to cover what we've done. And it gnaws at us from the inside, in our minds, in our hearts. So when we don't speak our sin to the Lord, we are the ones who suffer. When we refuse to confess our sin to God, we are the ones who suffer. But David says it's not just our own inner spirit that's at work against us. It's actually God's spirit 
convicting us. He said God's hand is heavy on him. God and his love makes us internally feel worse. It's like we go to the beach, and it's 90 degrees, but we have no water and no shade. And so by the time 4 p.m. rolls around, we're miserable and we're sunburnt and we can't talk. And then we're moving towards sun poisoning. God is the one who's doing this to us. But for the best of reasons, he convicts us for our good so that we can actually be near him. Because being near the Father is the happy life. Now, if that is all David discovered, that our sin makes us feel miserable and God makes it worse, that would be really depressing and not worth writing a poem about. But here's some good news. David discovered something amazing. He discovered the grace of God in verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. One of the main reasons we don't go to God when we sin is because we don't believe God is who he says he is. We're full of unbelief. But we must believe what the scriptures say about God's nature and his character. It's really critical. David says, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, to Yahweh. So who is this Lord or Yahweh that David has in mind? What is his nature and character? In Exodus 33, the Lord brings his people out of Egypt and he reveals himself to Moses, the kind of God that he is. He says this, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Those are interesting words that he uses there and David uses. Iniquity, transgression, sin. Who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So we learn that Yahweh is gracious, that he forgives sins. And David, here in verse 5, uses all three terms for human evil. Did you see it? He says, I acknowledge my sin. I didn't cover my iniquity. I will confess my transgressions. He gives this comprehensive confession. He doesn't hide any of it. He confesses all of it. Not a partial amount. Everything. It's a comprehensive confession. And David believed and remembered who God was, which led him to have faith, and confess his sins to him quickly and fully. And when we believe and remember who God is, it leads us to have faith in him and to quickly confess our sins to him. Because the Lord is gracious and merciful, he's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, he's slow to anger, he forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. And because of who God is, there's two things that we need to know and practice to stay near God. The first is continual faith, And the second is quick confession. Continual faith and quick confession. Being near the Lord is the happy life, and we stay near by continually believing in Jesus and quickly turning from our sin. It's the daily pattern of those who follow Jesus by faith. We trust Jesus and we turn from our sin. We turn from our sin trusting in Jesus. We trust that Jesus is the one who gives us his righteousness as a gift. And in faith, we turn from our sin because Jesus' death covers over our sin. And David says, this is the way to the happy life, forgiveness of sins and nearness to God. Well, if that's true, how do we live in the happy life? How do we stay in the happy life? David picks up, he says this, 
This is his application. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. David gives us this command out of his discovery. He says, let all the faithful or the godly pray. Let's quickly confess our sins. Because of who God is, we can quickly confess our sins to him. And so this is what godliness looks like. Quick confession, not perfection. This is how we stay near God. This is how we stay happy. Quick confession, not perfection. Then David gives us a warning. If you and I are stubborn, if we refuse to confess our sin, we are actively endangering our own life. He says, pray, confess your sin at the time that God may be found. There's a finding time, and then there's a not finding time. There's a time to confess our sin, and there's a time when you're not able to confess your sin any longer. One time, I was at my parents' house. They live in West Virginia. It rained a lot, and they showed me how this smaller hill next to their house just floods water down to level ground. So once the rain just hits this critical threshold, there's no way to stop the water, just flowing down this hill under their fence into this level ground, just sitting there. Nothing stopped it except for the rain stopping and the water drying up. Flash floods can't be stopped. You have to endure them and hope the damage is minimal. Refusing to pray and confess our sin is like standing in a flash flood area when it's raining. The flood may not come, but it likely is going to come. And when it does, we're in danger because we can't stop the water coming. The Lord God is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. He forgives us of our sin. He's abounding in love and faithfulness. And holding on to our sin is dangerous because the next thing God tells Moses about himself is that he will by no means clear the guilty, which means either God forgives our sin or we receive the justice of God for the guilt of our sin. And so this might be one of the most important questions for your year. Are your sins covered by Jesus? Or are you working to cover them yourself? It's a really important question, especially if you want to find happiness the way God tells us to find it. David gives us this prayer out of what he discovers in the grace of God. He says, notice how much God is doing something here. He says, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. David has learned to trust that God is the one who hides his sin, not David. Jesus shows us that the Father loves sinners. He delights in saving us and preserving us so that we might be near him instead of far from him. So I've been talking about this idea of being near and far. But if you've been paying attention to the words in the passage, you probably haven't seen it yet. That's because it's coming from this next section, verse 8 to 10. Now this is actually God speaking. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, for it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. He says, I will instruct you and teach you. Literally, you could translate it, let me make you wise. So if you remember, this is a wisdom psalm. 
And we prefer to determine good and evil on our own. We prefer to determine what will make us happy on our own. But what we need to do is actually have God teach us how to truly find happiness, to find the life that he blesses. And look at how great God is. He actually delights in teaching us how to find that. He is gracious and gentle and good. He wants us to find happiness by being near him. He says, my eye is going to be upon you. It shows us his intimate care and connection to our lives. And here's God's instruction. Don't get offended. He says, don't be like a stubborn mule that requires manhandling to do the right thing. He says, don't be like a horse with limited understanding that only stays near its owner if it has a bit and a bridle, constraining it and forcing it to stay there. So God is teaching us that our confessing our sins restrains us from running wild and running away from God like a wild animal to our own hurt. And he's saying that because being near God is the happy life. And we stay near by trusting in Jesus and quickly confessing our sin. In verse 10, he has this uh, concluding wisdom statement. He says, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. The wicked are those who stubbornly live in unbelief, won't confess their sins to God. They won't trust themselves to Jesus, but trust their own ability to cover their sin, to justify their lives, to find lasting happiness themselves. Many waters or sorrows are coming, but it doesn't have to be that way. Faith is the way that we relate to God, faith in how he's revealed himself, faith in how he's revealed who we are. We're sinners. And if we belong to Christ, sinners saved by grace. Faith that Jesus' work covers our sin. Faith that Jesus' life and death and resurrection makes us accepted, loved, righteous, secure, happy. He ends with this. He says, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. The result in our lives, if we live by faith, and quickly turning from our sin and staying near God is that we are righteous by faith and out of our lives comes gratitude and joy because we're freed from the debt of our sin and we're living near God who alone makes us happy, not just now, but constantly and forever. We rejoice. We're glad in the Lord. We're happy in Jesus. So the application for today is really simple and I've already said it. Find your happiness being near to God by quickly confessing your sin and constantly trusting in Jesus. This is how we find true happiness, being near to God by trusting in Christ and in quickly confessing our sin. So let's sing and eat together with thankful, joyful hearts made clean by Christ.